Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This is a 680 The Fan podcast. To hear more live and local sports content like this, tune into 680 AM or 93.7 FM or download The Fan app. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. Casting company And a good afternoon to you. Hello there. How's it going? It's Chuck and Chernoff. Heath Klein, Dylan Short in for Matt, and of course the king in the house as always. Gentlemen, how the heck are you? Happy to be here again, uh Dylan. I'm excited to be back. I was uh, I was wondering if after yesterday, if I'd be asked to come back or told my services would no longer be required. Well, it's so. been a while. It, been it like, has. It, it was a little was bit. Was it still in ways, or had it already cycled <laughs> out of ways? It's been so long. I'm such huh? a homebody that it was still the number one option on my okay. way. Okay. Okay. Rattle, rattle. Uh, we're fired up. It's going to be a lot of fun today. The uh, two o'clock hour is brought to you by Southern Exteriors, the Southeast premier home exterior solution, quality and precision you can rely on for over 20 years. Visit southernexteriors.co. All right, so we're going to talk some college football. We've obviously got the Braves getting ready to get started. There's big news today out of the NFL. Everything you knew about the NFL and what we thought maybe teams were going to do could have just gotten changed in the last hour. We'll explain about that as we go here between now and 6 o'clock. And, of course, something we touched on yesterday that sure looks like it's coming to fruition. Again, I don't believe it's been officially announced by Georgia State, but uh, Del McGee is going to be the next head coach of Georgia, according to all indications. The other candidates have been told it isn't you. Just a matter of putting putting pen to paper, Chuck. But uh, yeah, Del McGee like, is going to be the guy for the Panthers. There, And he was a great candidate when there were four actual candidates. He was a great candidate for a lot of Dell reasons and a lot of Georgia State reasons and just a lot of stuff. Uh, when the other three have all received notification, Look, we can't tell you the direction we're going, but you're not it. Um, Dell's left, and that's where they were kind of funneling this down to anyway. And so Dell will get a chance, and that's what he wanted was a chance. And so I don't know if he cut the line. He didn't have to be an OC, and it wasn't going to happen where he was. And so Dell's like, by golly, I'm ready. Well, we're going to find out if you're ready because Georgia State, you really got to be ready. And I'm going to be very interested to see, assuming that he is named as we all expect now, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see 
how he approaches that. If he kind of does the Dion role where he tries to surround himself with some coordinators that can essentially run things on their own, he can kind of oversee and kind of slowly become the position. He can be the guy responsible for bringing in talent. I want to see how he's going to do. Is it going to be one of those where I bring guys in and eventually they transfer out, which is probably going to happen anyway, but it, it makes for something to watch for. And I think if you're Georgia state, I, it can work no matter which way you want to do it. I think it'll be a, a fun thing to see. One thing that's interesting is that a lot of the times when somebody leaves a staff like George's, they then take some guys with them that are the analyst types, those kind of guys. But given the realities of Georgia State's budget, that might not be an option he's got, Chuck. Now, who knows? I'm not going to pretend to know every person in the Georgia building. Maybe there's some guy he knows that is a savant that just hasn't gotten room to get on the field yet. And the chance to come with him, be an OC, be a backs coach. All kinds of scenarios. Maybe that kind of thing happens. But if you're Kirby, at minimum what you know, we don't know if Del McGee will take anybody with him or not from the off-field staff. Certainly nobody from the on-field staff is going. But at minimum, if you're Kirby, what you do know is that while you have continuity at your coordinator spots from year to year, you have now lost your running backs coach and your wide receivers coach in the span of the last week. And both of those guys were known as your better recruiters, too. And your DB's coach at the end of last season, Fran Brown, going to Syracuse as another big-time recruiter. Yeah, now you've replaced him already with somebody in Dante Williams with a very big reputation as a recruiter himself. But it will be interesting here, Chuck, to see where he goes with this. Because for the receivers, there might be more of a thought that, all right, maybe you need somebody who's got the technical details for the receivers. Recruiting is good, but it doesn't necessarily need to be number one. But if that's the case, then for running back, you're probably going out and saying, who's the very best recruiter I can get? Who's an ace? And especially, is there an ace with connections like Del McGee to the state of Georgia you can go land? Georgia, in a lot of ways, still recruits itself. What Kirby's built, you could hire me as the running backs coach, and if I walk in with no clue what I'm doing, I'd still be taken seriously because, hello, I speak on behalf of Kirby Smart. So they don't have to go and get the best recruiter in America if they don't want to. But it'll be real interesting to see what Kirby decides to do with this position because this is one that has never been open the whole time he's been there. Certainly has my attention that this story, like Georgia State, the campus, I don't know, six miles down the street from us, the Georgia State job opening, irrespective of the Sean Elliott thing, how could he leave? Georgia State having an opening for head football coach didn't really become a story in Atlanta until they got the Georgia running back coach. Like, that's how this thing really, like, everybody was interested, hey, who are they going to hire because it was an open job in college football. But this became a lot more of a story when it became, all right, what Kirby? what is Kirby going to do? See, that's a commentary on the job Del McGee's about to take. That's a commentary on the job that, Sean Elliott just left. Uh, remember years ago, um, Chick-fil-A Bowl meeting every Monday, we would have all these reps go to all the games and then come back on Monday night and give their reports. BC was playing in a week 13 season, regular season finale. And if they won, they clinched their division. This is like 08 or 09 or at some point. They were page seven of the Boston Globe. Like now it was a nice article on page seven. But when your 12th game of the season is going to vault you to the ACC title and in a pro town, you're on page seven of the sports section. All right. Um, There's your commentary. Sometimes you get commentaries like this about Dell. Are are you sure this is the job you want? Um, Because this doesn't seem like the job. It seems like it was a job and a job was good enough. And so 
now the bigger thing is, all right, Kirby, your move. I didn't want to say it in those terms. It does feel kind of like a stepping stone type of job. And I've got that. That's not just a Georgia State thing. No. That's how I feel about a lot of these other kind of smaller, just kind of on the cusp type schools, especially in this, in the NIL landscape. I want to see how they're all going to kind of function year to year. Can you get any sort of continuity for more than a year, two years? Southern Miss been playing football 135 years, and they're in the same spot. Exactly. Same spot. Can you find a way to keep some of these guys almost in the same? Do you remember when Kiffin was at FAU? That was probably the only time that really in any sort of stretch of years they had some actual consistency with their players year to year. Now, obviously, I'm not saying Del McGee is going to be Lane Kiffin. There was obviously other reasons why Lane was coaching at Florida Oh, somebody has a better mousetrap. There, (laughs) Occasionally, you get a coach who, all right, his way works, and then he leaves Arkansas State after a year, which didn't they have, was it three or four straight coaches were there for one year, and they Gus were like... and Hugh, yeah, they had a whole run of those. Better mousetrap, we'll take him now. <laughs> like even Brian Harson, man, they had a whole run of through... One-year guys. That's yeah. one thing about McGee is that you do feel like if you're Georgia State, there's at least a chance he might stick around for a little bit, even if he has some success. Now, you're not going to be able... If somebody comes calling... I hope. I hope you're I hope. not going to be able to win a wallet battle with somebody if no. somebody comes calling from a big conference. I hope Dell has a lot of success. And I mean that because he's been wanting it pretty clearly... And pretty clearly, he wasn't going to get it in Athens. And I want to see guys like that succeed. I want to see the guy that says, I want that shot. I, I, I do okay. want to see him win. It. I, I do. do want to see him get it. Okay. And that's where the ABC after school special ends. Because <laughs> reality is, Sean Elliott was three practices into it. was like, F this. I'll take a 40% pay cut to go coach tight ends. It seems so crazy. Yeah, we'll see where this goes. But, uh, again, now the question for Georgia. Two spots open. Still got about two, three weeks before you have to start spring practice. So, time to... Look around, see what you want to do. We'll yep. see what, what fired coach comes is going to get with. the running back coach moniker instead of analyst this year. That's that's all I'm wondering. Well, that's the one thing though. You do wonder is is there anybody that's off the field right now that you're ready to promote on the field to say, hey, go and, crazy and occasionally you can be that ace recruiter for me. Occasionally they will park someone. I'm trying to remember. Was it? Uh, not Cheney, uh, Buster Faulkner. He was an analyst for a minute, and they were like, when we get a spot, um, they just hired – Kalen DeBoer hired Jay Nunez. You're not on field. All right, now you're on field. Um, so, yeah, it, it'll come around. They'll, and th- There are capable folks on every support staff and analyst staff in the SEC, I promise you. So we'll see what the dogs wind up doing. But, again, a couple of spots now to fill. Meanwhile, there's some other news from college football that has not gone official yet but is going to, according to reports from The Athletic and other outlets – they're trying to solve the problem that we've seen in December. We've all seen over the last couple of years, it's not working. The combination of coaches market and the transfer portal and signing period for the early signing period, which has basically become the signing period, all of it in December, it's not working very well. And so now, according to multiple outlets, including Greg Sankey telling Yahoo Sports that, yeah, the SEC is on board with this. It looks like the new early signing period will be December 4th. So that's moving it up about roughly 16 days. But what that means is that now, if you're Kirby Smart and you're getting ready for the SEC championship game, your signing day for the year is the Wednesday of SEC championship week. That doesn't feel like it's solving a problem. The idea here is, well, we're going to have the month be a quiet period, so you won't have to deal with visits they're not going to be able to be in contact. So you'll have that time where you're not having to deal with on-campus stuff. But, Chuck, I mean, the game is still the number one priority, and now your highest-level programs, 
are going to have this thrown into their week. That sounds like a bad solution. And in the in this pursuit of, I guess, eliminating some redundancy, um, I might actually move it back 16 days instead of up 16 days because we are in a new era of coaches hiring and firing window, as in there ain't one. And if you move it up, think of how many kids by signing December 4th instead of December 20th, 21st, or 22nd. You sign on the 4th. How many of those kids, letter of intent, and then it's Julian saying, my coach isn't here 30 days. All right, I'm going to jump. If you would just push it back 16 days, you would save a lot of kids who, like Julian saying, you know, he showed up on campus. He's like, all right, portal, and now I'm leaving campus. So his entire semester, his entire, like there is no learning. There is no book credits coming his way. How did signing day become the phenomenon it did? It was because it was in February. It was at a time where college football had basically been off the radar for about a month, and everybody who's a fanatic who loves the sport then had that to look to. It was the equivalent of the draft in April for NFL fans. This was your time where you say, okay, how did we do? Did we, did we meet our personnel needs? What kind of soap opera is going to play out on signing day where some kid's mom says, I'm not signing your letter of intent, and suddenly we've got a, a showdown going Alice on? Alice Collins? I uh, believe so, yeah. Uh, how, you, know, you have a showdown going on. Which kid is going to arbitrarily say, yeah, I'm not signing on signing day. I'm going to wait until Valentine's Day. That's what Clowney did, uh, even though most people thought he was going to South Carolina. The Roquan Smith situation. Wait for, uh, another week or so. Yeah, Roquan. Oh, yeah. Well, heck, you've had kids. It Thank was you. all kinds of stuff. There was a kid one time who was supposed to be going to UCLA, a kid named Darrell Price, sent his letter of intent on the fax machine. Only two of the four pages go through. They announced what he's going to do. And he, he finds out that they call him later and they say, hey, you know, we know you sent it, but only a couple of pages went through. And so we just need you to resend. And he took it as a sign from God he wasn't supposed to go and flip to the other school he was going to go to. Isn't that almost exactly what happened with Rokon? Was that also UCLA and then Ulbricht oh, ended Ulbricht up going to the Falcons? Yeah. The only that time was, I could say thank you to the Falcons. That was Rick hanging years. up on me and Matt. Like literally Rick hanging up so he could go get Roquan Smith. Um, well deserved, by the way. So, yeah, there was actually a case of a kid who – I won't say where he went, but um, I was like, hey, this kid was supposed to sign this morning. I'm not even making this up. Text from my buddy in Tallahassee. Well, we paid the daddy. Miami paid the mama. So now we're having to decide where he goes. It's like a wishbone. You get to end up going where the mom says at that point, right? He went to Florida State. We all under any. He went to Florida State. There's no argument there that if, if, if it's between where dad wants you to go, where mom wants you to go, you go where mom wants you to go. No, he went to Florida State. At, yeah. at this point, though, if you just move the thing back to February, because if, if the idea of this was you're taking stress off the kids, because that was the knock, was this idea that there were a bunch of kids that were being hounded by the coaches, by the media, by everybody, and so you're going to take that stress off of them by letting them sign a little bit earlier, especially that classic kid that some kid from here in Georgia grew up in the state, a dog fan, knows he wants to sign with the dogs, doesn't need to talk to 93 coaches. He's going to Athens, period. Just let him sign and be done with it. Everybody can leave him alone. That was the idea. But you just hit it, Chuck. Now, well, we've got this environment where everything can change in five minutes and where even if you sign the letter of intent, you can leave the minute you get there. Because you got a 30-day window. And by the way, it's not just kids who sign with UConn and they def- fire Bob Diaco in January. It's the Michigan and the Alabama signees because their coaches are like, yeah, I found something else. Just, just I'm just them, doing something else. That happened with a five-star wide receiver for Alabama who hadn't sent in his LOI or anything like that. And then what happened with Saban he ended up just saying, all right, I'm decommitting from Bama. 
And then went to him anyway. back. But yeah, Kalen DeBoer got him back, but it's the same thing Ryan Williams, the in state kid. Yes, yeah. yes. My, my thing is just move it back to February. Just one signing day in February. And, and by then, kids will know what coaches left, not just head coaches, assistant coaches too. What coaches left? Who got who in the transfer portal? What are your possibilities? Either one, do that, or two, if you're going to give them an early signing period, really give them an early signing period before their senior season. You've locked in a space. Dabo's pimped that for like August. Dabo I mean, has talked about that before. Now, supposedly <laughs> the SEC is opposed to that, and Texas high school coaches don't like it because I guess they think that there's kids, and if they know they're already going to school, then they're not going to listen to the coaches their senior year because I don't have to listen to you. I'm already good to go to Austin. I've signed my letter. So Probably not wrong about I that. I don't either. know whether or not there's a way to do it. But this solves nothing. This just changes. It solves nothing. I, I got to agree with you. Now, Dabo, doesn't he also want a preseason game? Like middle of August, he wants to play South Carolina State or somebody? I mean, Dabo says all kinds of Dabo stuff. Wants I'm sure he said it at some point. No, I, just, <laughs> I, I, I just can't believe, though, that this is what they came up with. Wednesday of SEC Championship Week. It, it seems to, like, you lay out the issues. All right, we need to address these three things. And I'm looking at the solution. I'm like, yeah, no, actually, you went the other way. Like, you actually just opened 16 more days of reasons a kid would need to transfer. Like, if he can't sign to the 20th, he can't request his LOI. Be Like Julian's saying, can't happen for at least 16 more days if you just leave it on the 20th. Push it back. I said 16 days. Heath, you want to go old school February 5th or whatever the first Wednesday is? I'm on board. Like, if you, a lot of this gets solved by going back in time. First Wednesday of February. I put the transfer portal window about a month in front of that one. That way, kids that are looking at what schools they're going to go to, if I see that you just brought in a big-time recruit out of the transfer portal, then now I don't have to get and stuck you, at that school. You do need to keep in mind class enrollment. Like, you have to be enrolled in school to go through spring practice, for instance. You can't just show up and, you know, put on a uniform. You have to be enrolled at that school. Uh, and if you don't transfer till February 4th, it's like three weeks too late to get in school at most places. Now, you, you got to have the portal window when it does. The high school window could be whenever, so move it back. I just, It's incredibly aggravating that this is what they're trying to do. It doesn't solve anything, and it makes stuff worse. All right, coming up, we're going to get into one of the quarterbacks some of you out there are lusting for. If you're a Falcon fan, you've got your guy that you're saying, oh, man, if we could just trade up and grab this guy. One of the guys that some of you, I know for a fact, are dreaming of. Just say my name. Playing down in the bends. He's not as mobile as you think he is. We'll explain coming up here on 6A The Fan, 93.7 FM. Chuck and Chernoff hanging out here on a Friday. Heath and Dylan hanging out with Chuck today. Mocha, chocolate. Back from the boat next week. We'll see exactly what kind of fun he had. But we've got you for one more day of this week. The 2 o'clock hour brought to you by... Southern Exteriors, the Southeast premier home extension or exterior solution. Uh, quality precision you can rely on for over 20 years. Visit southernexteriors.co. CO! All right, so look, everybody's got their own tastes in quarterbacks. If the Falcons could move up to number one in the draft, I suspect most people would want them to take Caleb Williams. But even that, I'm not sure is a 100% agreed to thing. And then you have that next tier. After Caleb Williams, you've got some people who really like Drake May. You've got some people who really like Jaden Daniels. It feels to me, though, like I have heard more people, maybe because people just perceive him as being 
the third quarterback and therefore the one that's most likely the Falcons could move up and get, it seems to me like I have heard more people express excitement about Jaden Daniels as the quarterback the Falcons could get than anybody. And one of the things people like about Jaden Daniels is the idea, hey, he's a mobile quarterback. He's not just some statue back there. He can make plays with his legs. Now, what's funny is if you watched him, Chuck, there were times where Jaden Daniels would run, but Jaden Daniels also took some of the most cartoonishly big hits you could ever take. Like, he doesn't seem to know how to slide. He also doesn't seem to know how to protect himself. Like, he took some Roadrunner, Coyote-level, like, cartoon Mm -hmm. hits while he was running around this season, but he did run around. And I think some people, because of that, think he's maybe a little more mobile than he is. Check this out. Jaden Daniels this year, assuming he goes first round, which pretty much everybody believes he will, is going to have the highest career percentage of sacks on pressure dropbacks of any first rounder in the last five years. He took a bunch of sacks this year. And Williams took sacks too, but not at the rate of Jaden Daniels, higher than anybody else in the last five years. There are quarterbacks in this draft who have pretty low numbers. J.J. McCarthy, percentage-wise, did not get sacked that often. Bo Nix did not get sacked that often. And Michael Penix got sacked on just over 5% of his dropbacks when he was under pressure. He's got a trigger to get the ball out of there and an instinct for doing so that avoids sacks. Chuck, the numbers, though, here, I mean, you're talking 25% for Jaden Daniels of his dropbacks under pressure leading to sacks. That is a concern. And that's different than being able to do something with your legs. He ran for 1,000 yards last year in the SEC. Um, and back-to-back games against Alabama and Florida, he had 23 carries for 397 yards and three touchdowns. Now, he also didn't finish the Alabama game because he got hit by Dallas Turner and threw an interception, and then he got hit by Dallas Turner and was out of the game. So understand, Jaden Jaden can scoot, okay? Jaden can fly. That's not the same thing as Jaden's in the pocket and feels the heat coming again and gets rid of the football because in the NFL, like in college, you still have teams that want to line up and run at 63 teams times on a Saturday. Like you still do. In the NFL, other than Arthur Smith in Atlanta, it's about let's win because the quarterback's going to throw the football you've got to be able to protect yourself. You have to be able to either find the second receiver, the third receiver, the out of bounds, the whatever it is, because you don't last in the NFL. If you get hit, you just don't. I think this is one of those traits where you see the really mobile guys. And I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would bet you Lamar Jackson's numbers are probably higher than some of the other quarterbacks in his draft class were too, as far as sacks, versus pressure when you have guys who are extremely mobile like that they tend to try to extend that play longer than they should where a guy like Michael Penix who's not looking to run even though he can he's not looking to run he'll chuck it out of bounds or hit that sideline throw you mentioned J.J. McCarthy well a lot of those names that you also mentioned up there and why I'm not why I'm not as concerned about this with Jaden Daniels the guys that you mentioned also had fantastic offensive lines Michael Penix had the Joe Moore award-winning offensive line Michigan had an outstanding well, yeah, offensive all kinds of context line. here but, but this is a this is a percentage thing sure but you so, talk about Jaden Daniels going from Arizona State going to LSU one of the key features in both of those and especially his time at LSU is the fact that there were not as much around him especially up front so you got to create a little bit more and when your offense isn't able to run the ball which has been the case for basically everywhere except for what maybe his freshman year at Arizona State when maybe they had Eno Benjamin um that's been something that Daniels has kind of lacked I'm not I'm not disagreeing that it is definitely an issue 
I'm just I'm not sold that that's something that I would say puts him behind say Bo Nix or Michael Penix when by when itself, you look at the it arm doesn't talent. do it, but it's a concern. And, and if he was dragged down by his freshman year at Arizona State, that'd be one thing. But the numbers stayed over twenty percent every year of his career. And if you're telling me one out of every four times you took a drop back and faced pressure led to a sack in college, why am I going to believe it's going to get better in the pros? Like I said, it, there's all kinds of layers to that onion. So much about it. Um, the play call, how good the coaching was, the offensive line, et cetera. But if there's a thread, especially with player mobility the way it is now, if there's a thread that went with one kid across two different programs and four different offensive lines and four different sets of receivers and four different whatever, um, that's something I look at because, like I said, you've got to be able to – like getting blasted in the NFL in the pocket, That's you don't last. And for what it's worth, here are the top five. And you're right, can I say, you're right about Lamar and some of the – you run your way into that, but on dropbacks, it's it's different. Here, here are the other four besides him. He's number one on the chart, assuming he's a first-rounder. The other four guys that were 20% or higher, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow, Justin Fields. So two of the biggest busts in the draft in recent years. And a guy that's a arguably guy, a top two or three quarterback in the league. Yes, but also a guy who's a questionable guy in Fields. So you could say, well, hey, Burrow shows it doesn't have to be the be-all, end-all, and I'd agree with you, but I do think there's a concern here. Hasn't he either missed the rest of or significant parts of two of his seasons so far, though, with injury because he keeps getting hit. Yeah. And they had they gave up the most sacks in the league. I'll give him credit. It worked. They got to the Super Bowl. I guess it worked. They had, the what, the fifth overall pick? Gave up the most sacks in the league, and they're like, oh, we're getting a receiver. We're getting and, his buddy know, a wide receiver. And, yeah, I can't even say that it was wrong because Jamar Chase is exactly, incredible. Exactly, like 1,500 yards. <laughs> I was like, I guess it worked. But, I mean, but I did, he got hurt again. To, to that point about Jaden, I, I actually, the thing that I find more concerning than the sack numbers, what you mentioned, the amount of big hits he takes. I saw I saw something on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, uh, yesterday as well, kind of comparing him somebody throughout the RG3 comparison and just the, the types of hits that he can take. And that's, that is true. And Jaden is one of those where if you watch all the LSU games – and this will be in the middle of the same game. You'll see him do really well at avoiding taking clean shots, where even if he gets bumped pretty hard and gets hit pretty hard, he's able to move his body in a way that he doesn't catch it flush, he doesn't catch it square, and that's fine, that's different. You will also see him, especially if he tries to extend like an extra half yard and get that first down, get blasted on the sideline. And you're right, that's you, you won't last more than a couple of years in the NFL taking those types of shots from 330-pounders. Five minutes from now, we're going to check into a little college football conversation, get smothered and covered with Barrett Salee. But before that, just quickly, guys, uh, to, to wrap the Daniels thing for now, if he's there for the Falcons at eight, that's one thing. Because if you could get a top quarterback without having to be aggressive and move up, that's the dream come true. Let's assume, based on everything that's been reported to this point, that is probably not the scenario that would happen. Do you like Jaden Daniels enough as a prospect that if he is there as the third pick and as has been rumored, the Patriots are willing to say, come to Papa, we're willing to deal. Do you like Jaden Daniels enough as the best solution for the Falcons that you're willing to give up at least two ones and probably a two for Jaden Daniels at pick three? Maybe more, but at minimum that. Yeah. Me personally, yeah. You like him enough if, to do that. And if my team's front office thinks this is the guy, whoever it is, whatever year – Give up what you give up. Um, now, me personally, I'd rather – can I get to two? Because I'd rather have Drake May. Uh, at that point, I'm getting a guy who's a legitimate first overall pick. I'll take Caleb, who will be the first overall pick. I love Drake May. 
Uh, Jaden, I'm all in. Absolutely. You got to fix the quarterback. The half measures are that's done. You need to be you need to be past that. Okay, let's phrase it a different way. You got a choice. You're giving up two ones and a two for Jaden Daniels, or you sit at eight and you get JJ McCarthy. No, that's no, not even a question. No, boo, Heath Klein, boo. Okay. Heath. Not McCarthy even a is not acceptable oh, no, even no. without the extra no. nine. No, torches and pitchforks. All right, I would do that as well. I'll actually go a step further. I like Jaden more than I like Drake May. I've got more concerns with Drake May than I do with Jaden Daniels. Um, just the inconsistencies game to game and throw to throw from Drake May and the UNC quarterback thing. Um, that's just me personally. So I, I don't really care what you have to give up to get your quarterback as long as you get the quarterback right because say you keep all those picks, you keep the two ones and the two and all that, so you try to take another quarterback the next year. Well, if you missed out on that quarterback, what was the point of having that one if you still, two drafts later, all those picks later, still don't have your As they're finding out with Pitts entering his fourth year, Drake exactly. entering his third year, and Bijan in year two. We all agree you got to fix the quarterback. No debate there at all. Uh, I am not sold on Jamie Why would you Davis? even speak yeah, I'm not his a, name into existence? I am not a McCarthy eight. guy. I, I'm not saying that's what you should want. I'm just saying – Based on the way that the draft analysts are currently saying. That's bad energy. That I don't even know how he got his way up to eight. I really don't. Well, there's a lot of people who like him more than more than the average public person does. Make of that what you will. There are some coaches who really, really like J.J. McCarthy, apparently. But, again, that's not me endorsing him at eight. I'm just saying if you had the choice between three picks for Daniels, are you sold enough to do it versus it sounds take what you cheap. get at eight. Like uh, well, just it, eight and then a one and a two? It might be more, but bare minimum price of poker is going to be two ones and a two to get up five spots. Bare minimum. Real Probably question. More. That sounds would really rather, affordable to me. Would you but, rather do that or go for Justin Fields? I, I Personally, I don't think they're going for Fields, but we'll see. The one thing I'll say is I don't trust Jaden Daniels. I, don't, I do not like Jaden Daniels as a top 10 value quarterback. I don't think he is anywhere near as finished a player as people imagine he is. If you see the very best of Jaden Daniels and you see the deep shot to a guy like Neighbors, he looks incredible. Watch him from 20 yards and in. Watch the accuracy level on those throws. And you're going to have to make more of those kind of throws in the red zone as the Falcons quarterback than you're just going to be able to go bombs away. I don't think he's anywhere near as polished a quarterback in some of the things he needs to do on the NFL level as I think people based on his overall body of work last season statistically think he is. I, do, I would not give up two ones and a second for Jane Daniels. I wouldn't do it, but what Chuck said is correct. If the Falcons have convinced themselves it's the right answer, then it's what they have to do. I'm just saying, as a guy who watched him play a bunch, I don't think he's ready. I don't think he's a top 10 value. And I think if you're taking him top 10, especially giving up three, four, five, whatever picks, you're thinking he can be that guy right away. I don't. Or do you have him in relation to where Lamar was? Because that's, that's what I use for Jaden. Whatever you think about Jaden, I agree. I think there's a lot for him to work on still. I do think he's ahead of Lamar when Lamar came out, and we see what happened with Lamar, and it took a little bit of time, sure. But if if that's the case, and I'm looking at him and who's his closest comparison for a quarterback, I would say Lamar. I think he's ahead of where Lamar was when Lamar was at Louisville. Well, we will certainly continue to discuss this extensively, of course, as long as the Falcons' QB situation is in play. Later on, too, by the way, pretty prominent NFL voice today making, I think, a interesting point about any of the young quarterbacks and the issues he has there but we promised you college football conversation with one of the best and we deliver here on chuck and Chernoff. i love college football joining us right now barrett Salee. you can check him out on the smothered and covered podcast a longtime contributor at cbs sports over the last few years and now doing his own thing at smothered and covered barrett how are you man i'm great how are y'all doing great we appreciate you hanging out with us today here on chuck and Chernoff. and uh barrett 
a lot of talk this week, obviously, about what's going on with the playoff. And we know what the formula is for the next two years, but already they're screwing with it before they even play a single year of this. I had no problem with the 12-game formula that was put out there. I, I thought, okay, I like it. Everybody has a different level of incentive. If you're 9 to 12, you're just happy to be there. 5 to 8, you're getting to host. That's a big deal. 1 to 4, you get a buy. Conference champions are still valued. I liked basically every part of it. I don't like anything I'm hearing about the next wave here. What's your take? Well, I mean, I don't like it going to 14. I didn't like it going to 12. I didn't like it going to 4. And I'd have much rather kept it at 2 because there was absolutely nothing wrong with the BCS. However, you know, I think with this – it, it's not so much that they're expanding it again. I think we all sort of expected a slippery slope because that's what the public wanted back when it expanded to four, and, and this is a slippery slope, slope that we created. But the, the interesting part of, of what's going on is they're flat out telling you that it's all about access and finances and not about rewarding the best team on the field. And I've, I've said for years that any kind of expansion is about granting access, not rewarding excellence. And at least before – they were operating under this guise that they really cared about who wins the national championship. But now it's clear that they don't, um, that they just want to chase the money. And the way they get the money is through granting access. And I mean, it's, if you're going to get four automatic bids for one conference, SEC or big 10, you cannot sell me at any point that the fourth best SEC team has any right to even compete for a national championship because there, it doesn't. And um, if, if there is an argument for that, then the argument would also include the, that the regular season doesn't matter because at this point it doesn't. I think it's clear as day that, that they really only want to have a, Ford, a, a college football playoff event and they don't really um, care about the regular season. And I think really when you break down the, the administrative aspects of this, it makes it pretty obvious because the playoff committee is and the playoff is a completely separate entity from the regular season folks, the NCAA and, and conferences. So, you know, it's a shame. I think it's ruining, uh, ruining what was once a great sport. And, and I, I tell you this, it, the focus on the playoff really is disappointing because to me as a fan, and I think for most college football players and fans, the reality is, the enjoyment of the game comes from a lot of other things, not the national championship. And it's a shame that that those uh, portions and those aspects of the college football sport, the sport of uh, itself are, are basically being rendered as afterthoughts. Barrett Salee with us here on 680 the fan. Barrett, we were talking Jaden and his pro prospects and all that before you came on. That's a different thing. Talk about his replacement, Garrett Nussmeyer, because like December of 22 is getting further and further and further away. And I remember the plays against Georgia. How is Garrett Nussmeyer going to elevate LSU past like a three loss season, which is what they have with Jaden Daniels. Honestly, Chuck, I have absolutely no idea and no confidence that he can um, because Jaden's, you know, the ability to run was so big in terms of what Jaden did, but he's also an elite passer and it kind of, was the culmination last year was kind of the culmination of things that I thought of, about him coming out of high school because he was, you know, ready to be a starter, obviously at Arizona state, he won the job coming out of his first fall camp. Um, and you saw just how good of a passer he is, you know, throughout the course of his career. Um, and it culminated last year. So is Garrett Nussmeyer as good as Jaden as a pure passer? I no. I mean, Garrett's good. 
Um, could he be great? Yeah, maybe, but he's nowhere near as polished as he needs to be. The, the thing about Garrett Nussmeyer, though, and, and really LSU in general, is how good does he actually have to be? Because Jaden Daniels had to be a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback just to keep LSU competitive. Um, you know, if that defense takes a step forward, and I don't see how it could be any worse, then what they're going to ask Garrett Nussmeyer to do is going to be completely different. So I think from a running standpoint, he's more than a willing runner, um, but they're not going to try to use him like that. I think they'll They'll try to open things up. They'll try to make him, um, you know, an air raid style quarterback. And maybe that works. You know, it's complimentary football, right? So, you know, maybe that's all LSU needs if, if their defense takes a step forward. And like I said, I, I don't see how it could get much worse. And Barrett, when we're looking at the SEC in particular for next season, obviously with Jaden Daniels going to be gone from LSU, I would expect at least a small step back. Kalen DeBoer stepping in at Alabama for his first year. I would expect there to be a little bit of a fall off, at least in year one from under Nick Saban. Adding in Texas and Oklahoma now with what Ole Miss has done and all everything else in the offseason, how is the SEC looking to shake out in your mind for 2024? Yeah, you know, I think it's sort of a, a shakeup um, that I think was inevitable because Alabama is certainly going to take a step back. I mean, no matter who is the head coach, they're going to you know be a little bit more of a struggle by Alabama standards. But I think what, what we saw last year and the, and the most important part is that Texas is ready to compete in the SEC. You go back and watch that Alabama game. I've watched it multiple times. Texas whooped them on both lines of scrimmage, like absolutely punched them in the mouth consistently. And and I think with with, with that knowledge that Sark not only knows that's what's necessary, but also took steps to um, to make it come, become reality last year. You know that's that's only going to continue because it's a, it's a major selling point for a lot of players. So I, I think it's almost like the, the battle, the, the, the pecking order behind Georgia. And I still think it's Georgia, even though Alabama won the SEC last year, but that pecking order is sort of up in the air. And, and the fact that Texas is the one that's sort of um, really shaking things up and tells me that Texas is probably that next threat, that biggest threat to Georgia next year and, and probably beyond as well. So it's, um, you know, and, and as far as Ole Miss goes, man, I love that Ole Miss team. They only have to be average defensively, and that team can contend for a national championship because the weapons they have offensively, I mean, it is it is unreal. It is off the charts, and um, that's why Lane's going all in. I think a lot of coaches will, will, will look at situations and and change their philosophies based on, um, on where they are. And I think Lane looked at his team um, and the expanded playoff and said, you know what, it's time to go all in. Let's see if we can win this darn thing, and um, the, the chips are setting up, the dominoes are setting up in the, in their favor. So I can't wait to see what Ole Miss does. I think right now, if I were to, to pick, um, you know, where Ole Miss is in this pecking order, I'd say they're above Alabama. Barrett Salee hanging with us here on Chuck and Chernoff on the Hobson and Hobson Newsmaker line. So Barrett, if we say Georgia and Texas clearly won one A right now in some order in the SEC in most people's perception, who's number three? I think it's Ole Miss. I think because I, a lot of people are focused on the loss of Quinshawn Judkins. I think that's sort of underselling Ulysses Bentley the fourth, and I think it's not really you know recognizing that Diggs is there too. Um, and, and so I think when you combine that with what we know from Jackson Dart, his ability to to make things happen on the ground, Trey Harris back at at wide receiver, they've got some monsters off the edge defensively. You know that that recipe, that Lane Kiffin recipe. Is for success is there. You know, that might not be the same recipe that other coaches use, but this is exactly the way that Lane wants to build his roster. 
and he's done it with players who can can play and have proven that they will play at an elite level. So uh, I think it's it's definitely Ole Miss. Now, you know, a disclaimer, asterisk, so to speak, um, you know, we don't know what Alabama's roster is going to look like because the the fact that they've had everybody leave and nobody join is means that there's going to be some some movement after spring practice with Kalen DeBoer. But, you know, because he's not Nick Saban and because the roster has been depleted, I think it's impossible to say that right this very instant, Alabama deserves to be anywhere higher than fourth. But, again, that's subject to a lot of change, especially considering they're going to probably be the most active program out there uh, in the transfer portal, at least one of the most active programs out there in the transfer portal this spring. All right, Barrett, i got to ask this question. There's a pause at the end, and it's important. Um, what is Hugh Freeze working with quarterbacks, really? Like, what, what? what is he? Because he had a reputation. I'm looking around going, all right, he couldn't get anybody better than Peyton Thorne. And then the second year so far, there's a May portal period. No disrespect to a guy who's thrown for like 10,000 yards in college, but <laughs> this wasn't the idea. So what is Hugh Freeze really with quarterbacks? He's a guy that can make average quarterbacks effective, right? Um, but Peyton Thorne might not be an average quarterback. He might be a little bit below that line. Um Look, the dude made Bo Wallace and Chad Kelly did. elite. He did. You know, that, that Malik Willis, a third-round pick. Made Malik Willis a third-round pick. So, to me, I think any criticism of Hugh Freeze from a quarterback development standpoint is really more of a criticism of Peyton Thorne than anybody else because uh, that that ability to to make quarterbacks effective in his system is tried and true. I mean, it's undeniable. We've seen it. So – not to pick on on young men in college, but to me, that's it's more Peyton Thorne just being a, a below average quarterback than it is maybe Hugh Freeze losing his touch because it's not like he was grooming NFL superstars. He, he didn't groom NFL superstars. He groomed college superstars. That's his job. That's why he's there, and he's really really good at it. Um, so I think it's more of an indictment of Peyton Thorne. And honestly, it's surprising me that he's married to Peyton Thorne as much as he is right now. Because, I mean, look, Chuck, you and I know, uh, in the portal window last year, last winter, he had a superstar quarterback in the bag and lost him, uh, and we're not yep. going to say who it is, through no fault of his own. And so he did settle with Peyton Thorne, and I just don't know why he's married to him at this point. I got a question for you, Barrett. Going back to the SEC rankings, I noticed one team that was not mentioned in regards to three or four, and that is Missouri. I don't know if you just maybe don't buy into them a second year. You want to see Eli do it again. What do you think about for Missouri for 2024? Well, I just want to see the rushing attack. I mean, the balance was so good last year, and, and that's been a huge part of it. So what, is that balance achievable this year? You know, that, that's the one thing that sort of – you know, holding me back from buying into Missouri. And look, we're the, four, the fifth best SEC team is still a top 25 team. So I still, you know, and I think Missouri is probably, that's where they would land. But I think right now it's just a little bit of wait and see if that offense can be as, as effective without the balance or trying to find the balance that was, was so desperately needed last year. And they found last year. So I think that's it. Um, but, you know, like I said, you're, you're talking about a, the fifth best team in the SEC will be a top 25 team, maybe even a top 20 team. So uh, it's not really disrespect to Missouri as, as it is, you know, where else can you put them at this point? Yeah, it's, it's one of the things that's fascinating, Bert, is because, again, you've got 
you could make a case between three and seven or eight, really shake them up yeah. in a bag, depending on what you think of LSU. Can they fix their defense? You just touched on Missouri, obviously Ole Miss. And there, there's a lot of possibilities there. It's going to be a, a really fascinating year. And we just don't know what Oklahoma is either to see what they are in the SEC. That middle tier is, is going to be fascinating. Tell people again, for, for those who don't know about the new project, what you've got going. It's kind of revisit of something you did in the past, but tell people what you got cooking here. Yeah, it's College Football Smothered and Covered. I had a very successful SEC podcast called SEC Smothered and Covered that I was forced to give up in 2018. So brought it back, covering it nationally instead of uh, just regionally. Uh, and it's been a lot of fun. Going independent, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of challenge. Uh, it's a lot of, a lot of challenging, different nooks and crannies and things that I haven't really had to deal with in my past. But uh, doing, a, doing a great job. Fan response has been phenomenal. Uh, so you can watch it, uh, College Football Smothered and Covered, on YouTube and Rumble and listen to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube Music, all those other places as well. So we try to do it every single day. Um, not, you know, hasn't, haven't been able to live up to that for a lot of different reasons just because uh, of some personal stuff and some uh, old age stuff, so to speak, tearing up my knee um, while I was skiing. But uh, it's been a lot of fun so far, and I'm, I'm very happy with how it's uh, how it's been received and uh, looking forward to building it into something better as well. well we wish, uh, wish you all the best with that and certainly encourage everybody to check that out again. Follow Barrett on all the different platforms. Thanks for being with us here on Chuck and Chernoff, Barrett. Thanks, y'all. See you. All right, there you go, Barrett Salih, a little college football conversation there. Oh, that man a nine volt. Okay. Chuck, Chuck with the good ears there <laughs> noting that, yes, there is the chirp going on in the background. You know that happens, too. It, it never happens no. at a good time. How no. else are you supposed to know that your fire alarm is working? But no one's ever had that happen at, like, 10-10 when you've got a 9-volt handy and you're just, you solve the problem in five minutes. Ever. It always starts When I'm on with the Houston the station, that's when the Amazon driver shows up and, like, the 40-pound little girl dog decides she's going to be a pit bull at that point. Like, yes, right when you get on with the Houston station. Hey, of course, uh, we, we certainly wish Barrett the best. We have plenty more college football conversation as we go this afternoon. But coming up on the other side, well, today, today was a good day to hear from a really honest official. We'll explain coming up here on 6A, the fan, 93.7 FM. Picked up a girl I've been trying to dig since the 12th grade. It's ironic. I had the brew. She had the chronic. The Lakers beat the Supersonics. Today was a good day. That was a good day. Chuck and Chernoff, Heath Klein, Dylan Short, in with the King today, filling in for Matt. Be a good day. Absolutely. So, if you haven't seen the NHL, the NHL does something a little different with their officials than maybe what you get in some of the other sports. They let their officials talk a little bit more. Obviously, the NFL announces every penalty, but other sports, it's just, hey, just just make the call, keep it moving. Uh, But last night, Last night on the ice, we had a sympathetic NHL ref. He, he wanted to want to brace the people a little bit before he delivered the harsh news. If he hits it with his stick above his head, they're not going to like it. But the call on the ice was correct. No goal. No, oh, that's some good uh, description there from Garrett Rank. I like it. That's amazing. That sounds like a guy who's been watching a lot of Shorzy and decided that he was going to take that style and bring it to the NHL. What if we brought that into, like, college football? Like, I know you people have been drinking. Don't lose your temper. It was out. I'm sorry. It was out. I want to see that in baseball. Is like, it? I want to see them just start, just point to the dugout. I know you're about to yell at me. He was out. Is this famous enough still, like, Cullen... 
you're how old, 26, 27? There was a call about 30 years ago in the NFL, and it was a after-the-play personal foul. Just It was a pile-on play. NFL ref turns on his mic. Personal foul defense doing this number, giving him the business. I believe that was Ben Dreith that did that. And the fact that you and I still remember giving that him call. The business. I was like, on his stadium mic, I was like, well, he described what was going on. He can't be mad about that. Uh, so uh, I, I don't know. I, I think most people like that. Maybe maybe this is going to be the new trend is the, the empathetic ref. I can get I behind that a little bit. Even as I cause your pain. As long as as long as hockey doesn't have, because I'm sorry, I'm not hugely familiar with the NHL. As long as they don't have like a former ref sitting in the booth telling you why every call the ref made was correct, even though it's clearly not. That's the only thing I The only thing about. I know about NHL refs is it's the only sport where if dudes want to fight, as long as nobody else gets involved and you're on your skates, they'll skate around you in a it. circle to not let anybody else get in. They'll say, all right, go ahead. Y'all fight. Now, the, other, the other part about them is that randomly at any given time during the game, they've just got to jump. Like they, you know, oh, NFL, yeah. you got to yep, be yep. careful because they'll use you as a pick or something like that. So you got to keep your head on the swivel in the NFL, but you're still on the ground. No, those dudes, they'll suddenly shoot the puck or a stick's flying. They just got to jump in the air right in the middle uh, of the event. It's uh, it's a challenge. All right, so uh, the fondness this program has for Stephen A. Smith that we went over yesterday, and we have cool. more. La la, dipsy, dinky winky. We, we have no Teletubbies-related content today from Stephen A. Smith. However, I am told Stephen A. got a little serious today. There are people in the political uh, stratosphere that have been clamoring for Stephen A. to, to get more involved. So you're going to see me at times right getting now? a bit more polished Please politically. Don't. And you're going to see me. And you know what you're going to see me say, Amali? My name is Stephen A. Smith, and I approve this message. Please don't get into politics. <laughs> Look, I, I, what I will say is this. Stephen A's contract is up later this year. He already has quite a bit of freedom compared to everyone else that works at ESPN, which is how he's been able to have his own podcast where he talks about a lot of stuff and turns up on this program uh, where he gets to be on General Hospital as, yeah, sure. uh, mm-hmm. as Brick. Um, you looked at the backgrounds of some folks in D.C.? He would be normal. He would be a mainstream almost. Well, he goes on shows like Hannity, too. Again, if, if just a random ESPN person says, hey, I think I'm going to pop up on Hannity, yeah. that would not go so well. So if he's saying he might get a little political, I don't know. My it, name is Stephen A. Smith. I don't know. I approve this mess. One member of Congress beat Bama six straight years. I mean, Listen. like, it doesn't it, – all the all the gates are down. Our, our next president, our previous president, like – it didn't take any history. He was 1-0 and in elections after t- 2016. So, did, did you see there was a piece, and I forget which one it was because I'm not an excessively political person, but this was not a fan message board thing. This was not a sports sure. jerky joke thing. There was a sincere, well, it might have been Salon, one of these things that writes about politics and culture and all that, that literally was saying the Democrats need to get Saban to run against Tuberville because that would be the one way that you might get Tuberville out of the Senate. Can I just say really quickly, let's not go down this road, please give me like, let's keep our beloved sports figures like in sports. And I don't know if you want to call Stephen a beloved, but he's doing a really good job of getting to me to turn my opinion around on him and do a 180. I don't want to do a 360. If you present yourself with common sense and you can appeal to the people. And I mean that in like capital T capital P the people. 
Just like 330 million Americans, and I'm speaking from Honolulu to Bangor, Maine. Like, I'm a populist. I can speak to everybody. You can get elected. Hell, you yes, can you get can. Elected Arnold just got elected by... governor of California by doing that. There are people that would vote Taylor Swift for president just because they like Taylor Swift, okay? People, the, the yeah. gross populace of people will uh-huh. vote anybody who happens to be popular. Yeah, there's not a popular. test. When you turn a certain age, you get to vote. There's not a test. No, I don't, I don't need to see... More people from different avenues get involved in that. I mean, less, it's like, not It's more. like making a baby. You don't have to pass a test. You just but see, do what you do. If Saban wanted to run, and look, I have no idea if Saban even is registered as a political figure for either party. I have no idea. But the thing is, if he wanted to run in Alabama, if he wanted to do it, his most effective threat would be, I'm a little bored. I'm willing to try this Senate thing. But if not, then I'm going to take the best S job available, and I'll do five years over there and see what I could do with it. Because then you'd have Alabama people say, uh-uh, we're not competing against Nick. Send him to the Senate. And you'd have Auburn people that might be like, look, let's not take the we're chance. We're not getting him. So let's, let's get him to the Senate. That's his most effective. Th- I have no idea what Nick Saban's policy position is on anything. But in that state, that would be his most effective case. Down hey, the hall to the right. It has now been 410 days since anyone around here decided it was a good idea to win a championship. This has ruined a perfectly good day when I just washed my car. Spring is here and baseball is back. You can't forget the Derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This is a 680 The Fan podcast. To hear more live and local sports content like this, tune into 680 AM or 93.7 FM or download The Fan app. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon Background Screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. 